The presenting sponsor for On Education is Schoology. Schoology's passion lies in helping instructors and students have the best education experience possible. Schoology is a collaborative, student-focused, and faculty-centered learning management system. Students love Schoology because it gives them 24-7 access to course materials, real-time feedback from their instructors, and easy-to-use collaborative tools. Teachers love the streamlined workflow, integrated apps such as Google and Microsoft tools, and the ability to view evidence of student learning for making instructional decisions. To learn more about what is possible with Schoology, simply visit Schoology.com. Is the hype real? Uh... Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss gamifying professional development, the current state of educational technology, the release of Scratch 3.0 and what that means for you. And our guest this week is an amazing educator, Ben Kelly. So you have Bird Box on this, and I actually haven't seen it yet, but obviously you have, or you wouldn't have wrote it on here. Yes. Is it good? <laughs> is it as good? Is the hype real? Uh, well, it's like the hype is on both sides of whether it's really, really good or if it's not as good as advertised, but uh, 45 million people watched it. So it must be pretty good. That's a real number. Well, the one thing that I was interested about that is that really that happened within a short time period as far as how many people watched it and how many people have rewatched the, the entire show and then how much people are talking about it. So I think it's interesting just to think about how things like Netflix or Amazon Prime or all of those kinds of uh, channels, I guess we want to call them, or those uh, uh, companies have pushed out movie uh, quality stuff and people are watching yeah. it. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and Sandra Bullock, I think does an amazing job in it and it's an interesting story. It's kind of creepy, but not too creepy. Cause I'm not into too creepy. Um, and it, it, I thought it was like, if I was at the movies, so that's how I felt. So, you know, any of the hyper criticism for it, it's like, yeah, well, I've seen a lot of movies, uh, at the actual theater that were, not that good. And this was just turning on Netflix and then being able to watch it directly from my home. So I thought that was awesome as far as their ability to put together shows now. I mean, that's pretty powerful. Uh, not only the series kind of shows, but actual movies themselves. This is a movie, right? Yes, you should watch it. It's, yep, it's at about, it's an almost two hour movie. Um, okay. And then you'll have to let me know because of what you think. There's a lot of people that are criticizing, uh, I don't know, all the all these different aspects of, of the show itself. Because it's, you know, it's a, a combination of apocalyptic, sci-fi, um, uh, kind of, th- there's something, an entity out there, but you don't know what the entity actually is, you know, kind of that thing. Um, so that's the part that people are criticizing. The part that I'm amazed about, though, is you have Sandra Bullock in this show that she does an amazing job on. And this is on Netflix. You just turn it on, you watch a high quality movie uh, that everybody is, you know, having a discussion about um, just right from that service. So I thought that's pretty amazing. These services, man, did you know, actually it's not on our agenda, but did you know that Netflix is the number one um, income generator for the app store? No, I did not know that. So for the, so, the iOS app store you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. So, so when, cause of the subscriptions, so people pay their subscriptions through the app store system. Sure. And, and Apple takes a cut. 
and and Netflix is trying to get out of that because obviously, you know, that cut is is huge. Something like a quarter of a billion dollars a That's year. That's crazy. Wow. That's some big money there. In, in subscription revenue. Like this is just Apple's portion of that revenue is absolutely gigantic. Like it would make a like a quarter of a million dollars would make a substantial difference to I mean, even Apple, who you know, make obviously a truckload of money. Um, but no, these, these services are, are a real deal. And they, they're definitely, they move the needle on, on entertainment in lots of ways. Did you actually, have you tried the, um, I, I know that there's this other thing, this narrative show where you can like, I'm going to, I'm going to try it this week. We need to talk about that okay. next week. Cause I want to try it out. One of my, uh, former students was was kind of prepping me for it as far as telling me uh we were discussing it last night at this uh holiday party we had and he was describing what it's like and how you uh, you know make these right. decisions and it, things that you would think would be insignificant types of decisions end up being these huge decisions i'm like okay this is awesome this, it sounds total rpg video games meets an actual movie it is. so i'm like okay i'll uh, I'm really into that. And so we'll talk about that next week. Then. Awesome. And they, they, did you know that they yeah. put Minecraft story mode on Netflix? I did not know that. No. And is that also a choose your own adventure? Yeah. So if you've never played and it's, um, Isaac was saying it's the, exactly the same as, um, you know, the game, because the, the game is, is, is more or less narrative driven, right? Like you, you decide things and then they act out what you decide. So, I don't know if it was used as the experiment for this, but Minecraft story mode is on Netflix. Yeah, that's crazy. And you can literally just play it, which is wild. Um, I haven't, I haven't done it yet because we have it for PS4 uh, and we've, we've went through it, but I saw it there and I'm like, what is this? Is this literally just the cutscenes all put together into like a show? Yeah. And, and Isaac was saying, no, no, you, you, you use your remote or whatever to, interact with it and make the decisions yeah so it's the cross-section of actual the entertainment industry and i mean it's been coming already and we know that uh just from the way that video games are are basically uh you know kind of these movies now yeah um so it's the cross-section between you know this kind of entertainment industry where it was movies and videos and those kinds of things and then actual being able to make decisions like in video games and in pushing them together. I, I love that idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of actually going from gamifying movies to gamifying professional development, uh, you know, it, this is actually a pretty interest. We actually talked to uh, Damon from Aludo who made a really good blog post on our website and you should totally go read about um, what Damon and Aludo are, are doing for um, gamifying PD because they are uh, definitely part of the group that's leading the charge on this. But uh, tell us about uh, tell us about this article that 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 is uh, about gamifying professional development. So really, I mean, this is not anything new. Yeah. But I like that it was propped up prominently and said, hey, this is something that you sh could be doing in professional development and maybe you should be doing to engage your audiences. Sure. But really what they're talking about here is uh, using things like digital breakout games. And if you're not aware of what those are, we're going to link the article here and I think it has breakout links so you can kind of check out what those are uh, just to engage and also to personalize your professional development so people are getting what they need, not 
kind of what the district is wanting to go ahead and push out to them. Uh, so they get more decision making themselves. And then they talk about kind of how they're available on all of these different things, how easy they are to create. And of course, there's a line in there that unfortunately mentions teachers pay teachers. As a site, I just saw it and as I, a I site chuckled where, to myself. <laughs> where you can go ahead and purchase some of these, but please don't do that. You can make your own. Um, and you can reach out to us if you're not sure how to make them. They're actually very, very simple. They start, you can make them very simplistically or you can go up to the levels of super complex things and you can using them with professional development is not a super difficult thing to kind of put together but man your teachers will appreciate it it's engaging it gives choices so uh, people get to choose what they want and then at the end in the end they because they were immersed in the experience are going to get way more out of it than just let's say some sit and get experience so we're going to make sure we link this article because i think uh using these kind of experiences versus uh you know, what, what has normally been professional development is, is a, a lot of improvement. And they talk, they spend a lot of time in this article talking about badging as well, um, which, you know, we've spent a lot of time on, especially uh, in the spring and in the summer of, uh, of last year with Noah. We talked to Noah a yes. lot, uh, Noah Geisel, uh, about badges and, and we've talked about credentials and achievements. And these are, these are things that, especially as you and I in particular and our, our age group, you know, these mid, 30 year old folks that are now professionals and educators and, and have jobs. And, um, but we grew up, yes, you know, uh, in the, at the start of the gaming kind of, um, breakout kind of era. And, and we respond to, you know, achievements and credentials and little mini, you know, awards. And, and we know this, we know that this is what motivates us. It's why, you know, world of Warcraft and every game has like achievements and Xbox had like the most popular thing about Xbox that, that part of its reason for growing was its achievement system. Yeah, totally. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, we know that this stuff works and it works on people who are older and older um, because well frankly just people are getting older and but but are are comfortable with this idea that these can be meaningful um, and so now you're seeing that badging and credentials and achievements work in professional development because you know the the kids from the 90s are now working professionals and and so yes and and badging and micro credentialing are not going to go away this no. is something that that this is where everything is headed towards so you can get ahead of the curve basically by by saying hey we're going to uh, adopt some of these methods and then use them in just locally professional development but this is going to be kind of a it, it will be a global movement 100%. as far as micro credentialing and, and badges when we talk to those expert people uh 10 years from now we're going to be like, how did we not know this set? You know, this movement was actually coming because it is going to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we should touch on this, this other, this other issue, this article about um, yes. harassment in esports. It's something that's been on my mind lately. I, I sent out a, a little Twitter uh, and had, and had some conversations about harassment after I read an article uh, and this is the same one that we're going to link in the show notes and the one that Glenn had put in the outline about an overwatch player um, and, and, uh, and harassment. And uh, it's been since like the story evolved and, and it's been really quite crazy. Um, you know, it, 
it turned out that a a very um, popular top player um, um, was faking being a female player. Um, and then that female player, though, before we knew the identity of the person who was pretending to be her, um, was constantly harassed and and um, and and uh, threatened to be doxxed, uh, to be like uh, uh, digitally uh, harassed. And um, man, what a mess! What an absolute mess! I tell you, it makes uh, it it makes. You know, if we thought that the female gaming um, environment was toxic to begin with, which it it absolutely is, it is not a it is not a safe space for females, and and that's a giant problem. And I think that this made it exponentially worse. I think that I think that now what you're going to have is when you do have legitimate females who are legitimately good at esports, now they're going to have to just prove their existence uh you know the fact that they are who they say they are by you know some way there's going to be this extra level of vetting for females that shouldn't exist simply because this this idiot decided to fake being a female as some sort of quote-unquote social experiment I'm, I'm really pretty pissed off about this this whole story and, and not and it's not about whether this person was fake or not. I mean, who cares whether Ellie was Ellie? I, I don't, and it shouldn't matter. Um, you know, what matters here is the overarching theme that, you know, gaming is not a safe space for females. And it becomes a problem when you're trying to introduce it into the classroom. Because, you know, now you're going to have, especially older girls who are, you know, maybe read um, and are online and on social networking may see this and go, why would I want to be involved in a, in a, in a system or in a, in a world that is incredibly toxic to females and dangerous, frankly, why, why would I want to even dip my toes in that water? It just, it's not worth it. You know what the the great part though, and I think we're going to get beyond this this point as we do with a lot of things. I mean, it's good that we brought it out into, like you said, there's going to be a point of of toxicity, and and this is not going to be a good. It is not a good environment right now, but at least we can grow from this point. And what the best part I think is that esports are the great equalizer between genders. There is no reason why a female player can't be and will be better than. A male player yeah and so it's it is the i believe it's the great equalizer where we are going to have a, a a a time where men and women girls boys whatever it might be they are all uh equal as far as in in this in this competitive kind of uh level as far as in esports there was um a story that was pretty widespread back in the summer or maybe even in the spring of 2018 about a a female player who was just like an absolute destroyer. She was amazing. And <laughs> the narrative that was most widely distributed about this was that there was no way she could have been female. Yeah, that's disgusting. There was no way. It's gross. It's unbelievable. But that was the, it wasn't just look at how awesome she is. She's going to be a pro player. She's going to be on one of these overwatch teams or whatever, but the, the, it wasn't any of that. The narrative was, 
There's no way that she could be female. And obviously she had to go jump through hoops and like go through so many um, things just to prove that she was a, a woman, let alone how good she was. And I really hope you're right, Glenn. I hope that, you know, that this becomes um, the thing or one of the things that, that really destroys the tech toxicity of gaming yes. um, and the, and the, the misogyny and the sexism. And, and I think that um, to bring it to education, because this is what I really, I want someone to come and talk to us about this. Um, I, I really think it starts young. I think that if we can um, use our, 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 our skills as teachers to talk to kids about how you treat people, but also how you treat people online and then also how you treat people in a game because those three aren't necessarily the same thing. But if we can talk to them about how to do this, because these kids live their lives in games, they live their lives online and we need to be there and on the ground floor as teachers teaching kids how to properly operate and operate in these worlds. Yes. What's acceptable. What's not, how do you treat each other? Yes, all of those things. So, listen, I, I've put it out on Twitter, and I haven't gotten... I've gotten some responses, but I, I am looking for something a little more specific. I am really interested in finding, um, you know, especially like an elementary or early high school teacher who is talking about this on like a regular basis. And maybe this is just... Maybe we need to talk to Steve because he's one of the people I think that's probably talking about this all the time. Yeah, Steve Isaacs. Um, right. Um, and I talked about it quite a bit. Um, but I want to talk to someone who's talking to their kids about this all the time. I think that this is where it, this is where we have the opportunity to end it um, is, is by, is by talking to these kids when they're eight and nine and 10 so that they develop good habits online as far as how to play with people and how to treat people online. And we need more games in schools, guys. I mean, we can't, can't teach kids how to operate properly in video games if we don't have the tools to do that. So we need to also get administrators on board with the idea that just like everything else, if you don't have the tools, the proper tools, you can't, you can't do the thing. Um, so uh, there's a lot of work to be done. And this this article just made me sick, and I was so angry about it um, that we. I, I'm glad that we talked about it for sure. For sure, man. Um, current the current state of education technology that that's a big um, you know topic. Yes, <laughs> you could do a whole couple series of shows about that. But uh, but uh, with you know 2019 is here, and uh, and there's trends. So this is a pretty interesting infographic. Yes, we're going to share this infographic. And really, I mean, the biggest thing that you're going to see here is, uh, number one, how many, uh, it's a, in the fall of 2017, how many million students were, uh, are part of this, you know, uh, were part of schools in the United States is 50.7 million students were enrolled in uh, elementary and secondary schools. And more than 30 million of them are using Google education apps. So that is 58% are using some sort of, of the app system as far as with Google. 
So Docs and Gmail and all of those kinds of uh, systems. Uh, 22% were using Microsoft Windows or some format of those things. And then only 19% were on the OS or iOS, which I think is interesting because we are a uh, Apple school, but we use uh, Google products. So I don't know how they decided to, you know, what, how are they uh, adjusting for those things? So I, I wonder, I mean, could be, it says right here, the devices. So we're, maybe we're talking Chromebooks, like we've talked about in previous episodes. Which would be weird because Microsoft Microsoft devices, you know, we're talking about Surface stuff. And there's no way there's more services in schools than iPads. Well, it, maybe they're accounting for just normal PCs, Mike. So Devices labs, running on Windows. You know, like still like old labs or any kind of generic uh uh, laptops yeah, yeah. that are considered to, that are running windows 10 yeah uh, maybe that's what they're considering which is weird i think uh, as far as the numbers are concerned i think the more important elements are this is that there's five trends going on uh, that are for creating and improving education and one was the use of learning yeah. management systems which i think i think that that's like a given i mean i'm cracking up about it but it it, it maybe isn't you know maybe isn't still schools are not um uh, you know, moving towards uh, the usage of a learning management system. The second thing on there was gamification. So I was like, okay, that's awesome. Uh, and that's great. The third thing on there was augmented reality and virtual reality, which I think that is the next level movement. That is what, um, if you want to get ahead of the curve, it's in virtual reality and augmented reality. The fourth thing on there was is right in your wheelhouse, which has to do with coding and robotics uh, and how are we uh, merging those things into our schools because there's all of these professions, as we talked about even in the last episode or a couple episodes ago, where there's all of these jobs in coding and, and probably all of these jobs in coding slash robotics industry we need to make sure we're exposing our students to that. And then if they're passionate about it, let them have a, uh, a, an ability to be able to pursue those things in our K through 12 schools. And then of course, at the university level. Uh, and then the last one was something about a smart classroom. Did you see that thing? I do. And I, I, I love, I love smart tables. I love the, the surface, the big surface that you can buy that, that folds flat, but it's like a big, um, like a 30 inch screen that, and I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that every school should have one of these. They're stupid expensive, but they are really quite something and, um, and, and really neat kind of creative devices. In, in the hands of a, in the hands of a really good teacher, the, some of these smart yes. tables would, would be absolutely mind blowing. The things that like <laughs> the things that Michael Cohen could do with a smart table and, and 20 kids would probably make the, would probably make your head just fly right off your body. It'd be so awesome. (laughs) Right. Yes. So no. And then uh, finally in the, in the infographic, they talk about basically how much uh, they were talking about results. You know, are you results driven? Well, here's some results as far as uh, increasing graduation rates or meeting proficiency on specific standards. And all of those things are cited as far as in the infographic too. So really interesting infographic to take a look at. I'm going to print one of these off actually in full size poster size and put it in my office just because again, it reminds us of, uh, of what we're moving towards and kind of where we're at you know, currently and, 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 yeah. and the future is actually now. So um, you'll have to check out this infographic, see what you guys think. feels good that, that a couple of these things are things that we've, we've been kind of banging the drum on for, 
you know, on the podcast, but even before that for years, like, I mean, I've, I've been talking oh, yeah. about AR and VR for three or four years now. And certainly we're both in the gamification world and, 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 and you're, you're starting to come around to coding in the classroom a lot more. <laughs> and, and I work for a robotics company. So, I mean, uh, and, and to be honest, yeah, I mean, totally. And I'll tell you the, the book that I'm, I'm working on, um, is basically five, five ways that people can use new technology, technology that we're not using yet in the classroom. And, and certainly AR VR is, is one of the topics that I'm, I'm going to be talking about because, uh, I think that we're not there yet, but you know, if you really wanted to push the envelope, that would be a, that'd be a great place to, uh, to push it because AR and VR is, I completely agree with you, Glenn. It's, it's one of the ways of the future for sure. For sure. Yes. Awesome. When we come back, speaking of ways of the future, we're going to talk about uh, scratch 3.0. It just, uh, it just got released this week. And uh, we're going to talk about what that means for you and uh, go over some of the features. So uh, stay with us. Quests. One of Classcraft's most popular features with over 100,000 lessons created by teachers and 3 million learning objectives completed by students so far is now part of Classcraft's free offerings. In 2019, your students won't just be learning multiplication, chemistry, or any other content. They'll be saving the kingdom. Transform your lessons into adventures with Quest today. Visit classcraft.com for more information. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This is a big week for the folks over at Scratch, Scratch 3.0. I think we've been, I feel like I've been waiting for Scratch 3.0 for at least a year. Um, but Scratch 3.0 was officially uh, released this week. Uh, and it's it's pretty nice, Glenn. Yeah, no, I mean, everything that I've been reading about it uh, speaks volumes is basically pushing it to new levels. Is that kind of what, what you're reading and what you're as far as familiar with, as far as uh, being able to you do it, use more creativity or uh, give students the ability to, to do more things within the platform. Right. One of the coolest. So first off the, 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 the nuts and the bolts of this thing, the, the look and the feel is a lot more modern. They've definitely modernized the user interface, which um, was uh, as a, I'm a bit of a UI snob, so um, I really like the way it looks now um, in terms of the way the blocks look and and just even like the colors are are a little bit nicer, not as harsh. It, it's a really nice upgrade from a look and feel standpoint. Um, yes. But there are some really interesting um, uh, new features that are probably worth talking about. Um, the, the big one for me um, was these extensions. So for the longest time, people have been able to, like you've always, Scratch is open source. So you've been able to take the, um, the, the Scratch code and then modify it in whatever way you want it. That's why you see Scratch being used as the interface to program um, in particular robots, um, yes. things like make block uh, robots like uh, Mbot, and um, even, even things like, um, well, there's a whole bunch of other, other systems that use scratch as the base system for programming. Yeah. Um, 
and you've been always able to do that. But what they've done now is they've actually included what are called extensions. Uh, and they're built right into the Scratch user interface. So when you click on the extensions menu, you go into this whole extra collection of coding blocks um, that are purpose built for whoever made the extension. Um, there are a couple in there now. I believe Lego has a Scratch 3.0 extension. Oh, that's awesome. And and Microbit, which is a, a little kind of Raspberry Pi um, programmable board, has a, a Scratch 3.0 extension. And so this is this is really cool. It's a really neat opportunity for for companies that are are using um, that are using Scratch uh, with their devices to to make their platform and even their devices potentially more accessible. Uh, they have. Uh, the ability to program custom blocks. And this library is going to grow as people, frankly, That's to awesome. be honest, as people like me in, in the world that I'm in now start building extensions. Like I, I'm in the position now where I, I'm literally going to be looking into doing this, but you can see the value that that would add, right? It's, it's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah. So I was think I'm going to ask you as far as on the student side, is it pretty seamless then to use these extensions? Just basically a click of a button, it opens up some new abilities to be able to op- to program specific things like the Lego or the micro bits. It seems like it. Um, it seems like something where you can literally just click uh, on the extension area and then click on the extension that you want to use. Uh, and it and then it shows the the kind of the code library associated with that extension, uh, and then you just uh, pull the pull the blocks out just like you would with any other um, scratch. And this extension library is built again right into the interface, so you don't have to add anything. You don't have to install an add-on. Um, you don't have to do like what you have to do with the um, Mbot or with Cody Rocky or any of the other make block robots. You don't have to install a second version of Scratch basically as a client. Um, yeah. You can literally just click on the extension library and then click on the extension that you want. And and you've got all of the blocks that you need for that for that extension for that whatever that tool is or device or whatever. So this makes it more engaging, I would believe, for students because you're not just programming something that's on a digital kind of interface, you know, uh, uh, creating something on your screen. Right. But you're actually creating code to make something happen in the real world, for example, with these robots. Yeah. Uh, which I would believe that's a real world application. I mean, those those kinds of things are happening all the time. Coders are making programs to specifically make machinery do certain things. Yeah, I mean you can you can make a micro bit for example do almost anything. Right? It's just it's basically a little Raspberry Pi board that you can awesome. program to do whatever the heck you want it to do. Raspberry Pis are pretty programmable. And now the idea that you can use Scratch to program it and you don't again you don't have to install anything else. Uh, you know from a school board school district perspective this is amazing because this is, can all be done through the web interface. Like you don't yeah, have that's, to, ins- you don't even have to install any more clients, which is always a thing, right? Is just getting, yes. you know, the IT department. And uh, when you're in a big, like, like a big school board or a, a big district, 
I mean, potentially deploying a new client somewhere means pushing it to hundreds, if not even thousands of devices. And, and so getting a new client installed on a device is like pulling teeth. And it should be, to be honest. Uh, I, I get it. I, I get the complexities around that. So having these extensions where you can just click on it and then do whatever you were going to do is, is, frankly, it's absolutely fantastic. So Scratch 3.0, we're going to link to the two articles we used uh, as kind of information or reference for this. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're into into coding, I mean, if you've been using Scratch before, boy, oh boy, you're, I think you're going to be really happy with this. Uh, I've been playing around with it um, uh, outside, uh, you know, through through other resources I have. Uh, and, and I've I've loved it. I think it, I think it looks great. Uh, I'm really excited about it. And uh, and I have no doubt that if you're someone who's used Scratch a lot, you're going to be pretty happy with with what you got here. So uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to be joined uh, by Ben Kelly and we're going to talk about Minecraft. All right. Welcome back, everyone. We're thrilled to be joined on the podcast by Ben Kelly, uh, who has a ton of distinctions and honors. Uh, and so many that I, I don't have the time to go through them all in an intro. Uh, so let's just say he's pretty great. Uh, ben is from Moncton, New Brunswick, and he's a global Minecraft mentor. Welcome to the podcast, Ben Kelly. It's great to be here, guys. I love podcasts, and it's nice to be on one for a change. Awesome. Ben, can you just just introduce yourself? Like, Glenn and I know you, but I mean, there, we have lots of listeners. So introduce yourself to our listeners, who you are and, and what you do. I teach at a tiny rural school just south of Moncton uh, called Caledonia Regional. I teach grades 6 to 12 technology. Um, that wasn't enough for me, so I decided to get involved in a few other uh, aspects of of teaching, uh, which involved maybe, I guess, Apple. I got involved with Apple, uh, Distinguished Educators, uh, Microsoft as well. And through the Microsoft channels, I became a global Minecraft mentor. Nice. Awesome. So, Ben, we're going to link all the amazing Minecraft worlds you've built over the last few years in the show notes for people to check out. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you get the inspiration for these amazing projects. And maybe if you can think of one or a story of how you it actually came together. Uh, sure. Um, they all have their own little story, every single one of them. Uh, some come from real life and some come from, uh, you know, media and stuff you see on TV. Um, one that comes to mind right away is my wife and I were in a phase of our lives where we loved watching home and garden television. Yeah. Um, I think everyone goes through that phase and some people are still <laughs> in that phase. Um, but we loved watching home and garden television. And there was one show on there called, I think it was Dream Home Makeover or Extreme Home Makeover. So I remember watching that. And then one day, again, it's it's the skill I have, I guess, I guess, is putting two things together. So I had the Minecraft in my head. I was working on Minecraft. This show came on and I said, well, wait a minute. Everyone's favorite activity when they enter Minecraft for the first time is to build a house. That's what they all flock to. That's what right. trainers get you to do. So I said, well, why don't we why don't we take that same concept and why don't we build a house with a purpose? So what I did was I invented eight fake families that have all suffered horrible tragedies, not not horrible enough to keep you out of the classroom, um, like school appropriate tragedies. So, for instance, maybe one family lost their father in a mine explosion when a creeper accidentally blew up or something like that. So they're they're mo moderate uh, tragedies in the family's lives. And of course you have some people that are left over after the tragedy. So I made these little cards with the eight different families and the kids get these cards and, uh, using empathy, 
and creativity, they build a dream home for the uh, for the survivors or for the people who have come through. So it's re- it's really my my most popular lesson online. And again, it stemmed from the fact that we loved home and garden television. Yeah, and I, and I like the concept. And I'm all about putting empathy in our classrooms. So now we have an empathy education lesson where students around the country and the world can take these little cards and build dream homes for these, uh, I guess, tragedy survivors. Love this. That's idea. awesome. Amazing. Uh, so one of your projects is called the sustainability shuffle. And uh, we've talked on Twitter about this and, and it's, it's definitely one of your uh, bigger projects. It's actually a pretty massive uh, global project, a global undertaking, I should say even. Um, and I bet we have some folks that would love to hear more about that. So tell us, you know, everything you, you want to share about the sustainability shuffle project. Sure. So it originated, I was doing an Apple training at an Apple event. And one of the teachers that was learning Minecraft at this Apple event asked me, um, is it possible to share a world, um, a world file with the teacher down the hall? And instead of just saying yes and moving on, I stopped and it, re- it really took me off my feet for a second. And I said, well, my answer was, why stop there? Why stop with the teacher down the hall? Why don't we share this world file like worldwide? But then it came to the question, like I left that Apple event and I was thinking for maybe a week or two, and it, it came to the point of what's truly a global topic? What topic could you really share to every corner of this earth? And it would actually matter and fit into schools. So without uh, hesitation, I found these uh, these sustainable development goals by the United Nations. There's 17 of them. So I got to work. And the first step was finding a world file with 17 villages. So that was hard to do, but I found one. So it's got 17 villages in it. Each village corresponds to a sustainable development goal. So what happens is you get this world file as a teacher in your classroom in, say, Saudi Arabia, and your kids pick two to three of the goals or one to three of the goals. So what you do is you build massive solutions for the goals around the villages. So you could have a USA project next to Japan. You could have Canada next to Italy and France. Um, So around these villages, you have massive builds of solutions that kids all around the world from kindergarten to post-secondary education have thought of. And then in the village, you throw up facts. So you throw up information about your schools, what really applies to you. For instance, Ireland went all about um, bees and farming. So the Irish build was all bees and farming, which applied to them. So what, what I'm really seeing as this project goes on now, it's now in year two, and I'm seeing wherever the project stops, whatever country they're in, the kids always build something that applies to them. It's really neat. They don't really think about others. They think about their local circumstances, and they start to build around those villages. So we have hundreds of solutions built around 17 villages in the same Minecraft world, and of course, you know, the dream, the dream would be at some point to show the United Nations in New York, um, all of these students builds, all of the right. thought that has gone into these solutions. So it's using game-based learning um, to build solutions for the sustainable development goals. So just, I guess I'm just curious logistically. So do they save the project after they've worked on it? And then it kind of, it, it goes back into to you and then you hand it out to the next group? Yeah. So that so that it just keeps it keeps going, but it's always updated. Is that is that how it works? Yeah. So my, my role and it's, it sounds like a huge undertaking to take care of in your spare time. But really be, behind the curtain, uh, my role is to give it out. Like right now it's in the Netherlands and it's just come from uh, Saudi Arabia to the Netherlands to New York City. It's, it's moving very quickly. But when I get it at the end of their time, they usually get two weeks. When I get it, I check to make sure there's no damage, because the number one rule is if you damage another 
countries build, we have to skip your country, um, which is a harsh punishment, but it's it's actually a pretty good punishment in the fact that it makes sense. So um, I check for damage. I go through every one of the builds over and over again. So you can imagine I've seen these hundreds of times at this point. Yeah. And uh, and then I package it all together. And the, the mode that we use to move the world from one place, uh, the world file from one place to another is either Google Drive or, of course, uh, Microsoft's um, storage. So um, it's working. Um, the, the file's 300 megs right now. It started out at 150. So we have 150 megabytes of wow. student solutions built into this world. And it keeps moving. It keeps going. It's two weeks sounds like a long time, but it's really not. It's every time you blink, it's moving to another country. Um, the biggest thing for me internationally is in Atlantic Canada, we don't have a lot of different cultures. We don't. We're, we're actually kind of still, um, I guess, uh, 100% almost uh, homogenous down here. So yeah. the fact that I have to deal with a teacher in Saudi Arabia and then deal with the teacher in like Finland or Sweden, it's really shaking my... Uh, my understanding of the world and giving me a whole new uh, worldview as well, just by running this. That's amazing. So I tell people all the time when I, I mean, people ask me what I do for a living, especially now that I'm not in a classroom. And I, and I talk a lot about my goal being to get my hobbies and my career as close together as possible. Uh, I, I, I kind of say it as a joke, but I, I'm pretty serious. I mean, you hear all the time people talking about loving what you do and following your passions and doing doing things that you care about. So, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do that. And, and I'm having a hard time thinking of someone who has that more than you right now anyways. <laughs> uh, I mean, do you feel like you're living the dream sometimes when you, you build these awesome Minecraft worlds and uh, you're doing it, you know, for, quote, work uh if every teacher worked in the environment that i work in daily um they would never leave the profession um the the educational consultant industry would be dead um and (laughs) everyone would just stay in the classroom i've been blessed to work with some amazing stuff but i say blessed but it's it's not been given it's been earned um there's a lot of gear and a lot of things that we use in our program that are amazing and making minecraft uh I guess, resources is just one piece of that. It's interesting, though, that 90% of the resources I make are not for me. Uh, they're, they're really intended for other people. I do it sort of, you know, much like a painter or a musician would do. I make Minecraft resources as a creative hobby. Um, yeah. In fact, I wonder if I would even go insane if I stopped doing it because it is my creative outlet. Hours fall off the clock as I'm making them. I mean, day turns to night. And I don't even notice. Um, so again, when you talk about your hobbies becoming your work, um, I'd love to say this is my work, but I don't think I've ever been paid a cent for any of this. Um, so it really is just a, it's a passion. It's a, it is a hobby. It's a full blown hobby. Um, and I do it mainly. I hope that these worlds eventually land somewhere that can help another teacher somewhere else, uh, help their students, um, demonstrate their understanding, or at least, um, have more, a more engaging class time. Um, so yeah, not much pay coming my way. So I'm not sure if I'm going to call it work. Um, right. it's, yeah, it's more, it's more like volunteering, uh, with a hobby that I love. So it's, it, it is a dream. I guess if you look at it that way, it is an absolute dream to volunteer, um, and do something you actually love while you're volunteering. So Ben, going right along with that, when we talk to teachers about using Minecraft in the classroom, many of them are very intimidated by that process. So what advice do you have for teachers who are interested in using Minecraft in the classroom but don't even know where to start? Uh, Number one, you don't have to be the best builder. I am a horrible builder. 
Um, so you don't have to be a great Minecraft player. You really just have to be the type of person that has a learning mission. So if you can set a learning mission or here's the goal, I use the empathy lesson for an example. If you can say, here's your empathy card or here's your, your family, can you please build them a solution? And then, and then really, I guess the biggest advice I have is sit down and get in the game with the students. They love, they love when you die. When you die, it's the greatest thing in the world. And and you may think it's horrible that you're dying, but in the game, they're loving it. And actually it builds a better, uh, a way better community um, if you're in there with them. So my biggest advice is don't be scared. You don't have to be an expert and get in there and play. And really don't, don't be scared of that word play. Um, I know it sounds bad in a classroom, but really no true learning can happen in a room unless you trigger students' emotions. And Minecraft's one of the quickest way to trigger emotions that I've ever seen. So get in there, trigger those emotions, and then uh, use Minecraft, not so much to teach, but to allow your students another way to show their understanding of what you've just taught them or what you're talking about in class. Very well said. Love it. I mean, yeah, Glenn and I have talked so many times about how teachers need to actually play. Um, You can't just like dump games-based learning on students and and say, you guys go have fun. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's, it's ridiculous. And, And I, heaven forbid, but teachers will have fun too. And uh, yeah, I know students for a fact love it when when you die and they don't care like they don't see it as a this teacher doesn't know what they're doing. They see it as this teacher's one of us. They're having they're having fun and enjoying the time like we are. And that's, you know, the frame of reference for for what they have. And that's what you should be seeing it as, too. Um, thanks, Ben. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been awesome. How can. How can people get in, in? What is the best way for people to get in touch with you or to make contact with you or uh, get to know you a little bit more? I'm uh, I'm very active on Twitter. Um, that seems to be my I tried to do Instagram last night and I'm so confused by it that I reverted right back to Twitter. <laughs> I also tried Hootsuite and that that made my life even worse. I'm not a LinkedIn person. I'm not looking to be employed anywhere else. So so really, Twitter is the only place that you can find me that of uh, of any, um, uh, I guess, social aspect. Uh, my handle is. Uh, BBTNB. It stands for Broad Based Tech New Brunswick, or I recently switched that to Ben's Best Tech New Brunswick. Um, but yeah, Twitter's the best place to find me. Uh, I'm willing to help with anything Minecraft related. If you have any questions, if you need a podcast, for instance, I love podcasts. So uh, feel free to follow up with another one, guys. And uh, that is your best place to find me. And I have a website, which is conveniently bbtnb.com. Um, and that's where all my Minecraft stuff is there. And you guys said you'd link to that. And there's a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of cool lessons there. I'm working on one right now to do with the uh, the soccer team that was trapped in the Thailand cave. Oh, awesome! I actually oh, wow. I actually got the location, uh, put it, uh, built it in Minecraft, the real location. Uh, used the drawings from the divers to build the actual cave. Put a soccer team in at the end of it, and students use chemistry. They actually use chemistry to build like underwater torches and things like that, and then they head into the cave and set up the uh, the I guess the rescue. So that's my newest project that I'm trudging through right now. You're a wizard. That's so cool. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna share all of Ben's worlds, uh, his page, the sustainability shuffle. We'll share how to get in touch with him on Twitter and and all of that stuff because because uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff here and uh, certainly if you are looking for the place to start um, I don't think there would be any better way than by taking a look at some of the stuff uh, that he's put together and and just diving into that stuff so 
Awesome. Thanks again, Ben, for being on the show. Thanks. Wow. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn and my co-host is Glenn Irvin. Do you want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. Our engineers are Jake and Justin at Podcast Production Team. Check out their website at podcastproductionteam.com. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost, and this helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Schoology, for supporting us. Check out Schoology.com to learn how they can help you advance what's possible. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome. See you soon.